Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. I remember when I first started in associations that I said, boy, one day I hope I can work for AIA. And I just never dreamed I'd be able to lead it one day. And so here I am and I'm thrilled and just focused on not wanting to let down our members. And so I want to make sure that we are pushing them forward, that we are providing uh, avenues for them to to get a higher wage for the work that they do, for people to understand and value what architects do, what they represent, how they're impacting their community, to focus on that business background that I have and helping provide resources and making sure that our organization is providing tools uh, to architects so that they can grow their business uh, and become more successful. And of course, to just elevate uh, the profession in any way that our team can. Welcome to Context and Clarity, the place where authors, experts, and thought leaders come to have engaged conversations with entrepreneurial architects just like you. I'm Jeff Eccles, and every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I, and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, have a conversation with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect no matter what your context is. In this episode, we talk with Lakeisha Woods, the Chief Executive Officer of the American Institute of Architects. Our guest today has spent her entire career immersed in the world of designing and constructing the built environment. I'm really curious about that as a niche. So we'll probably get into that a little bit. She's an author, a board member, and a CEO. Her first book, I'm I'm saying that as a point of encouragement. I'm saying her first book is Never Never Get Their Coffee, 
Empowering Fearless Leadership. And she's the Executive Vice President and the CEO of the American Institute of Architects. Lakeisha Woods, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. So tell me about your book. Uh, sure. Yes, uh, it was a, a, an interesting way for the world to align. As someone had reached out to me on LinkedIn when they saw the posts that I had been sharing, just a little thought leadership, and asked me if I had ever thought about writing a book. And I had thought about it. And my husband had been encouraging me. And I had sort of had a draft, but not anything I was ever going to take the time to publish. And when they asked for it, I went ahead and added a little more content and threw it to them. And uh, it yep, turned out that they thought this is exactly what we need. They really loved the title that I had written seven years ago in my head. And then lo and behold, the book happened to come out about the same time as I was starting my new job at AIA. Uh, although when I wrote the book, it had not, you know, AIA still had another CEO and no thoughts of changing it, but it all just worked out that way. So here I am. Have you gone on tour or anything for the book or done any publicity? Always sounded like a really great idea. I mean, I really <laughs> yeah. wrote the book more because I kept getting questions from people uh, that were, you know, steps or strategies or what would you do uh, in this circumstance? And I just kept answering the same questions. And so I thought it was best to um, just write it out so I could share it with people. And, you know, so it was really just a tool for other women, because often I would get questions from young women or actually very experienced women that were running into challenges and, and facing obstacles. And I wanted to, to share my story. But when it really came together was when I was able to ask other women in the community to share their own story. And that's where I really found, to me, it, it all came together and, and seemed so much more useful to not just hear what I experienced, but what other people experienced, and especially within their own industries uh, and job responsibilities. So it was great. Is it kind of similar experiences across different industries, would you say? Well, yes. I mean, I one of the chapters is, is called It's All About the Laws. And it really is just a, a the purpose was to list all the laws that have kept women in certain roles because, you know, so many decisions have kept us from being able to take leadership roles in organizations if you're expected to be home with your children. And so until you can change the laws, you will struggle to really find uh, success. And so I wanted to document those cases. And one of the people who I reached out to is an attorney and one of the stories she shared. So each of the chapters closed with a story. And the story that she shared was just her experience starting at a law firm and sort of compared hers, what she experienced as a first-time attorney and what a gentleman in the same role and the questions that were asked of her and what was never asked of him, uh, just to hear those stories, it was, oh my gosh, <laughs> like that's a, a whole other experience. Or, you know, a woman who came up and um, and just different, you know, different responsibilities and people that are, you know, older than I am or younger than I am and just the different um, steps that they've had to take. And how they achieve success. Just, I mean, one woman who was coming off of maternity leave and went back to work and the questions that were asked of her and the statements that were made to her versus her husband returning to his office from being on parental leave. It was, you know, when he returned, it was, we're so glad to have you. We've got tons of work for you. And she came back and they're like, wow, haven't lost the baby weight. And just the ridiculous microaggressions that are, that are given and shared with women that are never brought to with men. But what is the big takeaway of the book? Do you have advice for women and how to be 
not ask to get coffee or take the notes or things like that? Uh, the one thing is I'll say it's really not about coffee as much as it is about for men and women, everybody who is experiencing um, when you're looking at culture in your work environment, uh, things, tools and tricks and strategies for for women to succeed. There are people who there's a, a chapter called Please Stop Apologizing. And yes, predominantly women more than men will unnecessarily apologize for things. So it's those things, just a reminder of things you should not do. But also I, I had so many men tell me, wow, you know what? I didn't realize I was exhibiting this behavior or I was making these statements and you're right, it's not positive for our work environment or it is, you know, so it's more of an eye-opening opportunity for everybody to take a look at how you operate. It's about diversifying your, your friend group, not just your work group, because people hire the people they know. And if everybody you know looks like you, then you're not going to have a diverse representation within your firm. Uh, so it is all of those those the strategies and steps to be more successful as a person where, you know, we fear what we don't understand. So if you know more people, you can really address all those EDI strategies um, that everybody needs as a takeaway. Is there much overlap between those jo the job descriptions of a CEO, president and executive vice president? So at AIA, the president is actually the volunteer leader. So our current 2023 president of AIA is Emily Grandstaff Rice, FAIA. And so she is the volunteer leader of AIA, and she's the one who leads the board uh, and is sort of the, the base of the organization, goes out and represents us. Now, I also, as the executive vice president and chief executive officer, which I'm not quite sure about, every organization has a different name for that. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's just the chief executive officer, which is the, the paid staff leader. So um, my job is to run the business operation for AIA. So our volunteer leader, our president and the board, they set the strategy. They put the strategic plan together. They say, this is what we need in our profession. This is what we need AIA to do to help us grow and succeed. And then it's my job to work with the staff at AIA to execute on that, to create an operational plan and to move that strategic plan forward. And so... Uh, one year officially on the job. That's exactly what we're doing. We, we kicked off 2023 with an operational plan that's focused on five priorities so that we can really help lead this profession uh, and continue to build upon uh, the great leadership of the past. Hmm. Oh, interesting. I, I, I'm glad Christian asked that because I was, I was wondering that myself. So you don't set policy yourself. You're the, you just, the, not just, you're the business we take action on the policy that is set by our volunteer board and also the committees and councils that report up to our volunteer board. Is this something you always wanted to do to be the, uh, the executive vice president of the AIA or? You know, what's interesting. I went to the University of Maryland, uh, their business school, and I knew I wanted to run a business one day. That, that's the thing that I thought was uh, going to be my goal probably thought I was going to run, you know, Coca-Cola, but <laughs> I went the nonprofit side instead, of course, much better. Uh, but my first job, as Jeff had originally started saying, was working for the National Ready Mix Concrete Association. And really, when I took that job, it was because the, the person that I interviewed with before I got home already had an offer letter and benefits package sitting on my doorstep. And I was so impressed with the speed at which they gave me an offer. I was like, 
I don't know, NRMCA, who, who knows, but I'll just check it out. And uh, fast forward all these years, I'm still in this space. And I will say, I will thank the Ready Mix Concrete folks because they were so passionate about concrete and people understanding that there's a difference between cement and concrete. And they had me drinking the Kool-Aid. And so now I scream TV too uh, when the pastors say a cement bridge and I'm like, it's concrete. Yeah. yeah they but, get it um, wrong all the time. They say it wrong all the time and it drives me crazy, but it, you know, that's what got me in. And so then from there I went to work for the, for AGC of America and then to the national association of home builders and uh, then I had the opportunity to be the CEO for the National Institute of Building Sciences, and that I worked with AIA all the time. So um, it just sort of a, a happenstance that here I am at AIA, but I've always had a love and appreciation for architecture. I remember when I first started in associations that I said, boy, one day I hope I can work for AIA. And I just never dreamed I'd be able to lead it one day. And so here I am. and I'm thrilled and just focused on not wanting to let down our members. And so I want to make sure that we are pushing them forward, that we are providing uh, avenues for them to, to get a higher wage for the work that they do, for people to understand and value what architects do, what they represent, how they're impacting their community, uh, to focus on that business background that I have and helping provide resources and making sure that our organization is providing tools uh, to architects so that they can grow their business uh, and become more successful. And of course, to just elevate uh, the profession in any way that our team can. So we are, we are focused on that and driving value. And uh, I mean, the big win for me last year was I was so thrilled when we were able to work with uh, a company that is producing the TV show, uh, America by Design Architecture, mm. because one of the takeaways from members was that they wanted the general public to understand uh, what we do or to value architecture or to at least see it and understand it. And I think they did a pretty good job of just putting together a show that showcases some of the, you know, some great projects and, and speaking with architects. And it really helped that all the projects that they highlighted and all the architects they spoke to were AIA members. So that's mm -hmm. a big win. Yeah, how, yep. uh, we were able to get them to sign a contract to say they will only highlight AIA members in their projects. So um, for me, I'm really happy we get a TV show uh, without having to use our, our members' dues dollars to pay for it. So <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. The best deal ever. I haven't seen that show. Y'all have to. You can stream it on uh, CBS Networks, Paramount Plus, America by Design Architecture. All right. On CBS. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this in February, it'll be in six major markets, but you can also just watch it on YouTube or stream it online. Oh, cool. Well, I definitely will. I'm always looking for good shows. I love those design shows. I mean, they're just kind of fun to watch. They're so over the top. A lot of these, a lot of the projects, definitely not what I normally do day to day. So it's nice to watch it even as an architect. But so we have a couple questions and I don't know if you just answered this um, completely, but what are new initiatives that the AIA is taking action on? Well, I will talk about those five priorities because uh, one of the things is I, I went on a listening tour in my first year, as you, I think, always should, is listen to what members say they need or where are the pain points, what are the things that we are really good at and what should we not do. And um, the number one thing they asked us to do was fix our website. <laughs> so that is one of the priorities this year is updating AIA.org so that it is 
uh, the most effective tool for our members so they can access what they need when they need it. Uh, another item that we're focused on is our show, uh, A23. We want people to come to San Francisco and really be excited. Uh, and they know that um, that we we bring a lot of people together. I think in, in Chicago this past year, we had almost 12,000 people. Uh, but to me, it's how do we get more uh, more of our members, honestly, to attend? And how do we create more value so that this is the must-attend event of the year? So uh, that's something that we're focused on. We also heard that you know we need to make the AIAU platform, our ed- online education, uh, AIAU, uh, it, it's, it is where people go to get that continuing education uh, online. And they want us to make sure that we have more resources. Uh, do we have the right content? You know, right now we have 30,000 courses, but you have to sign up for them one at a time. And so if you're a firm and you want to get a license for everybody on your uh, staff team to be able to access it, you know, those are resources that we need to develop. And so that's something that we're also focused on. And in addition, we have our, our CES program, which is a education that is put on by other companies or firms. You know, again, if you're focused on learning all the materials that exist, et cetera, those firms want to teach you about their product. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that we have the right companies, the right information that is a part of that CES program. So again, we're always focused on what's the best what, is the, what are the best resources that we can provide to our members? And last but not least, we are focused on member and volunteer engagement. Uh, people told me, you know, the good news about AIA is that there are, well, at the time, like 94,000 passionate members. And they're like, the bad news is there are 94,000 passionate <laughs> members. And there's people that are all ready to just help you. And then there's so many people that are trying to do your job. So we want to make sure that we harness the power and all that amazing knowledge that our members have and just focus them on how to get involved, uh, micro-volunteering. It's all the different ways people can, you know, what we can do to create opportunities for engagement, but not take so much time away from them that they are literally almost taking on another job so that they can be involved with AIA. Because someone said, oh, well, I have to spend like 30 hours a week on AIA. Like we are, that's bad for our brand. Don't tell us that. We have got to focus so that what you're doing, what you're contributing is not taking that much of your time, but also that you feel fulfilled with the time that you did give to us because it is a volunteer opportunity and we need to to appreciate the time that you give to us and, and make you feel good about the work that you've done. So we're looking at all those pieces and making sure we put all the information out there in an easy to find manner, working with our local and state components to ensure that they have the tools and the training for them to also execute at that local level with their own volunteers. So we know that most volunteers that get to national started at the local level. And so we want to make sure that everybody has the right assets in hand. I like that micro volunteering. It seems a lot more doable. You know, someone asked me for, uh, we have this micro volunteer position. Would you be interested? I'd be more interested than listening to a long, you know, anyways, great, great name for it. You probably aren't going to be able to answer this question, but the burning question is, where is the uh, convention going to be next year? Oh, of course I can answer that question. This year, first of all, I have to talk about this year. So this year, A23 is in San Francisco, June 7th through the 10th. Mark your calendars. Registration opens March 1st. So get ready, sign up. It's going to be great. 
And then next year, it will conveniently be located in Washington, D.C. So 2024 is in Washington, D.C., which, of course, is where AIA is located. Uh, as you may know, we're in we're preparing, we're starting a building renewal. And I just wish it was going to be done <laughs> by 2024 since the show will be there. But uh, we're going to try to line up some tours so people can wander through the construction or reconstruction of our building. So. Uh, great things that will also happen in D.C. And D.C. will also be the first show that we really, truly control ourselves and can put everything together because uh, we were able to work with Informa, who's the company who used to manage our exhibit. And they were kind enough to allow us the opportunity to manage that on our own again. Because, uh, again, a lot of the feedback I received from our members was the price of our uh, show and, and the cost to get there and some of those things, the only way to, to make adjustments is to be able to, to manage all those parts of the show where revenue comes from so that we can find ways to maybe lower the cost for our attendees and, and make sure that our attendees are going to say hello and spend time with our exhibitors and sponsors because those are the people who help offset those costs. Yeah. You'd mentioned earlier that you were hoping to have more than 12,000 people at the convention. How many are you envisioning? What, is the, what would be a great outcome? I mean, at some point, it's too many people, but what's the perfect amount? <laughs> so I'm competitive by nature. So I know the largest show they've ever had is 26,000. So, of course, I have to beat that. Uh, but next this year in San Francisco, I think our goal is probably closer to 16,000. Yeah, and we've got to, we have to have the capacity uh, to, to increase the size of the show. So I won't scare my team by saying too big of a number. <laughs> But yes, of course, ideally, I would like to get to a much larger show, but we're also trying to make it a show within a show. So we want you to find your own community within the show. So finding places where people, you know, if you are, even if you're a, um, if you focus on, on homes and residential, so you can go and connect with other residential architects and then also making it not just about architecture because Architects are only successful if we have all the other players at the table and working together and collaborating successfully. So we want to find ways to bring all of the stakeholders together and really share examples of success. That's one of the, the keynote panels we're working on now is talking about successful collaboration between the architect, the owner, the contractor, the developer, the engineer. You know, how are we working together well and how can we learn from other people's success stories? Because we can always talk about what doesn't work, but let's focus on what does and how we can duplicate those success stories. That's great. So would that be part of the would that be part of the uh, AIAU? Well, there'll be a combination, right? We're going to kick it off with a, a keynote panel at A23. But then we also, of course, are going to try to change and modify some of the education that's available through AIAU, which, of course, is online learning you can get all the time. So um, we want to make sure that we're providing everybody the, the tools that they need. So Jeff had asked a question here. He says a question that is often asked in this community is how do small firm architects and sole practitioners benefit from AIA membership? So I think you started just to touch on that, but do you have any ideas as far as that goes? Absolutely. Well, again, AIA, one of the things I, I found interesting as I was on my listening tour last year is small firms often thought that AIA was really focused on the large firms. And the large firms said, well, we know AIA is really focused on the small firms. So everybody thinks we're representing the other group. Uh, for me, I think as an organization, we must provide tools and resources for all, all sizes of firms, whether you are a, a, a one-person operation 
or you're a medium-sized firm, small firm, large firm, we have tools and resources for all. And uh, there are every, I mean, every kind of tool you can imagine, we have it. But that's also why one of our top priorities is updating our website because uh, there's so much information that sometimes it's hard to find. And so we need to be able to streamline that information so that we are, you know, of course, technology is your friend. We need to make it our friend by utilizing the power of AI to give you what you need when you need it. That's what our team is focused on. It doesn't happen overnight. So we appreciate your patience as we build those, those resources out. But uh, we have the information and we also, you know, we have a, a, a member services team. You can actually call and they will answer the phone and talk to you and help you find resources if you can't find them on your own. Well, I did not know that. That's good to know. Well, we could put their phone number up here uh, later, but we had, I, I can't remember her name right now. We had, the, we had, we had some, uh, several people from the AIA on here and it's uh, too bad I didn't write them out. We were surprised at all the resources that we could actually get online. So I think maybe we have a tendency to complain about things when we don't actually look into whether they exist. I'm just going to admit that. Anyway, now we know we should go explore this very full website because it does sound like it has a ton of information. And I'm also somewhat comforted to hear that it's more of like a sibling thing where you think both siblings think the other one has more attention from the parents. You're the favorite kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it turns out we are the favorite kid. So that's good. That's good you're, news. You're all, I, there are no favorites. There, you're all my favorite. I, I love every member equally. Equally. Yes. And that's why we're also focused on making sure our members, like that we increase that value. That value proposition is so important. One, that you see the value from what we're providing. But two, that we are focused on getting owners and developers to see the value in paying the right fee for the services that our members provide. Uh, And that is something that I just cannot stress enough. And we will just keep keep at it. How are you gonna do that? Well, it really, part of it is just having the conversations. Uh, You know, there are so many, so many companies that I've met with that it's almost like this eye-opening, I had no idea. Oh, I thought the architect made all the money. Like, no, architects taking all the risk. <laughs> and they're the ones that often sometimes are not making uh, the fee that they should, especially for the amount of work and time that is put in. So we need to take away any barriers that are keeping people from uh, generating the income that they should. And there's nothing wrong with saying that our members should be profitable. We want them to be profitable. The more that you can do that, the more you can invest in that mission that you are all focused on, which is changing the world. But you can't change the world if your doors are shut. So we've got to keep your business open so that you can continue to impact your your communities in a positive way. I actually personally am not an AIA member right now. I was before, and then I've just let it lapse for years. I'm sorry. But I might, you know, Lakeisha, I, I think I will join again because I want to be one of those 16,000 people at your convention. So every every person counts. Well, I mean, I keep meaning to join, but then it's kind of expensive, you know? So then I think, well, what's if? And I I feel like I need to volunteer to get the most out of it. And then I don't, you know, so guess what? Now that I know there's micro volunteering, that member and volunteer engagement button, we're looking at dues as well. Oh, really? Well, that's good. It's just a big investment. And then and it depends on where you are. Yeah. And Massachusetts. I'm in Massachusetts and it's you know pretty, pretty expensive. But we also want you to get your dues invoice. To me, we've done our job. When the invoice comes electronically, I pray it's not still in the mail, and you say, best money I ever spent. 
If that's what you're saying, we're doing our job. And if that's not what you're saying, if you're saying this is too expensive, then we still have work to do. So again, we appreciate uh, your patience as we earn your business back. I'm going to ask here a question about whether or not you collaborate with other, uh, I think it was Christian, and he was asking about other collaboration with other groups. Oh, yeah. A Does the AIA cooperate with ALA and SARA? I don't even know what SARA is. Society of, I don't actually know. Christian, can you tell me what that is? Or are they the competition? So yeah, how does that, how does that all work? So what I will tell you is that we, or we, my team, we work with a variety of organizations across the spectrum. Uh, for me, I think everybody plays a certain role. And so uh, I have, again, I'm one year in, so I haven't met everybody, but I already came in with certain relationships, right? I, I have a CEO group and it's all the, uh, most of the major built environment related associations, ASHRAE, ICC, BOMA, um, of course, NIBS is still in, still work with them. Uh, but then there's also everybody from um, the landscape architects, the interior designers. You know, we're talking to everybody to see how we can work together. Because uh, last I checked, if someone has to complete a project, it requires all of them, right? I know Tom Smith from Civil Engineers. Like we talked to, I talked to my my CEO peers in all the various organizations because we learn from each other and we look at ways we could help influence the built environment as a whole. And so I don't look at things from a competitor perspective. Now, I don't know all of these. I haven't met people from every one of these organizations that people are listing. But again, that the goal, the goal is just to work together and we all have a different role. Yeah. I don't, I think they're just telling me that SARA is a Society of American Registered Architects which they have not been doing much of them. At least they have not been reaching out to me to ask me to join. So that's good news. Whereas AIA does all the time. So, but, uh, and I get a cool pin and I, I like the, you know, the pin that comes with things. So I don't know if you still give out that pin. I had a pin originally. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that you are at a board meeting right now. So how many boards came or is that because of your job or is it like a, it goes with your job or is it kind of coincidental? No, there was a board meeting earlier this week that's because of my job. This is a board I was appointed to. It's the University of Maryland uh, Board of Visitors for the Architecture School. So, yes, that was a, my first board meeting today. So I'm here at a Baltimore architecture firm, Ayers St. Gross, and they're right here on the water in Baltimore. It's beautiful. So they gave me an office to have this meeting, and they are all at happy hour. <laughs> so I said, no, no, no. I want to come talk to Jeff. Yes. And Jeff isn't even here. I know. <laughs> That's just how things work, right? Technology is always going to throw you uh, yep. a loop and they want to keep you on your toes. But I'm so happy that you you and I got to stay on and talk. Yeah. No, I am too. Was there anything else you wanted to cover with, you wanted to make sure that you brought up with, with Jeff, but now me? <laughs> to be honest, I was so waiting for the questions to fly. I didn't, uh, there wasn't uh, an agenda. So I there was, was just an agenda, yeah. I mean, I didn't see any agenda either. We're Anyone had, but uh, again, I hope that we can talk about it face-to-face -face at uh, A23 at the latest, right? In San Francisco, June 7th through the 10th. I think I saw in the, the chain on the right that somebody's going to be at Leadership Summit next week. So we'll see you there. I look forward to meeting. Uh, we have a group of our members. I think over, over 500 uh, members will be coming together in Washington, D.C. next week for our leadership summit where we train our local state uh, 
and national leadership on all the benefits of getting involved and the role of volunteer leadership versus staff leadership and governance. And we're going up for our Hill Day to advocate uh, on behalf of uh, architects because it is so important. Um, I mean, it's sort of interesting. I know that people, I've heard people say like, we shouldn't get involved in advocacy. And of course I spent 13 years at the National Association of Home Builders and there was a lot of focus on advocacy. But then I also spent a lot of time on calls at the beginning of my time here at AIA where architects said they they would like, well, we're not going to win that battle because the home builders, you know, feel opposite. Well, to me, you've got a better mission. And so we've got to get up on the hill and tell people why what you're trying to do, our mission around sustainability and the that we need, we need the people on the hill. We need them to uh, Congress to understand what you're doing and how you're impacting your community. It is so important to tell your story because if we're not there telling it, somebody else is telling theirs and getting their message through. So I am so thrilled that so many members are coming together for Hill Day and are going to be a part of this leadership summit. So thank you for those of you who will be there for doing your time and, um, and being a part of this. So John says, um, yeah, that's great. I think it was Wendy who said she was going down there. So uh, John says, Lakeisha, you've taken some tough questions. Actually, I don't, Okay. Thank you. Let me some of them were tough. I don't know. I wasn't thinking that bad. Um, what's an initiative that you're personally excited about? I mean, it sounds like you're personally excited about advo- you know, being going to Congress and talking about AAA. Sure. I, I think I'm just most excited about continuing to celebrate our members. Uh, I know that uh, one of the initiatives we started this year on social is our program called uh, Future Forward, and it's highlighting women, minority architects, or architecture firm leaders that are doing a great job of elevating uh, women and minorities into leadership. Uh, That is one of the, of course, the the data doesn't lie, right? That our numbers are uh, in need of improvement. And so one of the things I've heard when I talk to students is that they want to see architects that look like them. And so we've got, you know, a program in place to tell those stories and share examples of, of great projects that they've been a part of, not just what struggle someone has gone through to get where they are, but why they like what they're doing, why they love the impact they're making in their community. And we also need to celebrate, again, those firm leaders that are elevating women and minorities into leadership roles uh, because it's leadership. It's about that, uh, that piece of it that's so important. And I think we should celebrate those that are really making a concerted effort uh, because, again, I will say a hundred times over, the data doesn't lie. A company that has a more diverse leadership team is more innovative and more financially successful. And that's what I want to see coming out of our firms, more financial success, more innovation. And that way you're going to grow and flourish. And when you grow, we grow. So we're in this together. If our firms don't do well, AIA, you know, it may be 166 years, but I'd like it to keep going. And that requires all of our members to, to be successful. That's great. I mean, I'm excited just listening to you talk about that because you're right. I mean, that that our success is your success and yours is ours, you know. So um, I know that you were uh, going to be missing the happy hour and you don't I could let you go. We could we could wrap this up early today if you like. No, no problem. I know. I know you weren't expecting to keep running this. And I, I, I loved how we uh, went off. We did not listen to what Jeff said and kept the con- content going, even though he was no longer there. So is that what he said we were supposed to do? Not if his power went out, we should go. 
Yes. Uh, oh, see, I guess I wasn't <laughs> listening. We are women in leadership and we can just take charge and keep going because we've got people here that have some questions they'd like to have answered. So wonder, as everyone's saying, great job, Kathy. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, thank you for coming on because I, it's just an honor to have you here and thank you to, uh, to be with us. It was great to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I hope to see you in our membership numbers moving forward. We did, by the way, exceed 96,000 members, which is the highest membership uh, in the history of AIA. So that was how our team closed the year. So our, mar- our membership team, our marketing, t- our teams are just they're doing everything they can to just keep things moving forward. And I'm really proud of the team I've got. Awesome. Actually, Yoko has one more question. What's the most difficult or challenging part of your job? Well, I think the most challenging part of my job will be showing the ability for owners and developers to want to pay our members more, right? That value that they see, that nobody questions what you seem to have to pay an attorney, but then people say, you know, but architects talk about how people question their fees all the time. I'm not talking about what their fees are. I don't know what they are. All I know is that it has to be valued more. If we're going to recruit people into this space, we should be just as valuable, if not more valuable than tech jobs. So what are we doing to fix that? And I know it won't be solved overnight, but I do appreciate your patience as we look at all the opportunities to drive that value and push that message out to the decision makers. And that's where I'm focused. Right. And I don't know how these things work. Is, is your job like a, it's not an elected position, obviously. So is there a time limit on it or do you get to stay around for 30 years and fix everything? Uh, no, I've got a contract. So I have a certain number of years and then the board can decide if they want to renew that contract or not. But right now I'm focused on getting as many successful uh, initiatives accomplished in my current contract year, because I, I know that there are things we can we can move forward and it, it doesn't matter what that timeline is. I definitely think you can. So good job. Thank you so much for, for fighting for us. I appreciate that. Yeah. We all appreciate that. And thanks for coming on. And I, I didn't realize I was supposed to not uh, <laughs> talk to you, but I'm glad I did. No, not at all. No, this is great. Well, thank you. And I'm going to go hang out with some architects. Thank you. Well, What do you think? Did you hear something in this conversation that you can use, maybe in your practice or even in your life? If the topic of this conversation is of particular interest to you, every week in the Entree Architect Network, I host the Context and Clarity Classroom. It's our weekly opportunity to take what we've learned from our special guests and put those lessons into action in your life and in your work. Find the Context and Clarity Classroom exclusively inside the Entree Architect Network at network.entrearchitect.com. And if you are so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to YouTube. Find the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. You can also have the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week. Just give us a rating and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Your likes and your ratings and your shares all help us help other entrepreneur architects like you. And together, they help us build the largest worldwide community of small firm architects. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. 
It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about how you can build your business into something that allows you to practice the way that you want to practice. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.